Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges, and this is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is the podcast where we're studying the Bible, we're studying the Word of God, God's message to us so that we can know about Him, so we can actually know Him and follow Him. We are working our way through the Gospel of John. This is episode 67. Today we're just looking at a single verse, John chapter 1, verse 14. Let's review what we've gone through so far in the Gospel of John. We're in this prologue part, the first 18 verses. So we'll look at it in its totality. So let's review up through verse 13, then we'll add on verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. Then verse 14. The word became flesh, and dwelt among us, We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 is a lot. It's just a single verse, but there is so much theology packed in here. And I was struggling with how best to go through this uh, without getting so far in the weeds or getting too complicated, but to just address some of the, the big issues we see here. As the Word became flesh. This is what we call the incarnation, that is, the becoming flesh. That Jesus Christ was. He didn't become. He was. He was God. He was in the beginning, but he became flesh. We often refer to Jesus prior to his birth as the pre incarnate Christ, but now he becomes flesh. That is, he becomes a human. And this is the incarnation, the becoming human, becoming flesh and blood. Now, he was God. Now he's flesh and blood. Which is he? Well, he's both. And this is where we hear terms like he's 100% man, but 100% God. And this is true. And this is one of those theological terms that we throw around to try and describe this. We call it the hypostatic union. Well, hypostatic's a fancy word. Kind of a good way to define it is just personal. So the hypostatic union is a personal union. Personal union of two natures. His divine nature. He is God. But also his human nature. He is a human. And these come together without lessening either but they're joined together in this uh, unique way. And the early church, as they were having their councils of Nicaea and Chalcedon, and all those trying to uh, combat some of the heresies where we saw in the John's letters, uh, 1 John, that he was uh, combating the 
the errors of people say, well, the Christ really wasn't human. Well, John's, yes, yes, he was. Here he became flesh. Here we have this hypostatic union, the, the bringing together, the union of these two natures. Now these two natures are, are distinct, but they somehow perfectly come together to where Jesus is 100% God, but 100% man. And some na one nature can do some things that the other nature cannot. For instance, in his divine nature, Jesus had special knowledge and abilities that the human nature didn't. But the human nature had some aspects that the divine nature didn't, such as the capacity to die. Here we have this great theological truth here. The Word became flesh. This hypostatic union, the incarnation. This is a, a, a central aspect of, of Christianity, that God the Son became one of us and dwelt among us. This is, uh, you know, John specifically referring to this from his own personal experience. He lived with Jesus for three and a half years. He followed Jesus around, lived with him, worked with him, served with him, and got to know him quite well. And that's where John can relate here as a eyewitness to all of these things. He came and dwelt among us. Now, John's speaking here from his personal experience. We observed his glory. We saw this. We saw who he was. John saying, I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw him in his glorified state and saw these amazing things. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. One and only Son. This is, well, it's a tough, tough topic. But uh, in order to, to better understand this, let's just roll up our sleeves and dive into it. One thing is uh, one and only son. Uh, son does not appear in the original Greek here, but it's added for clarification. So because one and only is just used as, well, as he's the, the one and only from the father. And so to help it make sense, that's where the translators have added son, the one and only son. So one and only. Now, your King James Bible and, and maybe your New American Standard also say only begotten. So is it one and only or only begotten? Well, let's look at that. The Greek word used here is monogenes. It's a compound word, mono. Obviously, that means only. But genes can mean a lot of things. It can mean offspring. It can mean family, relation, lineage, race kind, species, but together it means one of a kind, unique. And the actual definition of, of words often is not the etymology of the word, but the usage of the word. So the way it's used here, it's, uh, it's unique. It's the only one of its kind, the only one of a specific category. The uniqueness of it is, is what's being played out. This word monogenes only appears nine times in the New Testament. Four of them are in the Gospel of John. One of them's in 1 John. What makes this confusing is um, the, the King James Bible translates monogenes as only begotten six of those times, but just only for three of those. Let's go through them real quick and just look at them real quick. Uh, in Luke 
7.12, the widow's only son is monogenes. In Luke 8.12, the only daughter. In, in Luke 9.38, the only son. In each of these instances, it's uh, the, the Greek word monogenes, son or daughter. And it just gets translated as only son, only daughter. But then in the Gospel of John, it gets translated in the King James as the only begotten son or the only begotten. And part of the issue here has to do with the Latin Vulgate. The Vulgate was the the Latin translation of the Bible that was produced uh, about the 4th century. And in it, there was two different words used here. Monogenes gets, tra- uh, gets translated into Latin as unicus, usually. But in these instances where it's talking about Jesus in the Gospel of John and 1 John, the Latin word used is unigeniti, which actually does mean only begotten. So the problem is the way it got translated into Latin influenced the translation of the Bible into English with the King James Bible. And to slam the King James Bible, just that, you know, one of the problems is nobody knows what only begotten means. (laughs) It gets used a lot, but if you actually pin somebody down and say, what does that actually mean? Uh, it's, it's not a word that really gets described. Now, there's some complexity here. Remember, we are talking about the Trinity, and there is huge mystery. There is uh, a lot of uh, deep, deep theology, uh, a lot of which is very difficult to understand. So we're talking about the, the relationship between the Father and the Son, God the Father, God the Son. It's complicated, and we just have an exterior glimpse of it. So let's be very careful before we start trying to dissect it too much. But one of the problems is the the term only begotten son, it's used in an English word that nobody actually knows the definition of, and I think using it actually somewhat incorrectly. And it's based on an improper translation into English, which comes from an improper translation into Latin. So I think all the modern translations who just say one and only son are given the best translation that Jesus is the one and only Son, the special, unique Son of God. Now, what's that actually mean? Now we're talking the issue of the Trinity. And we'll see some more of this, uh, particularly when we get to chapter 3 and chapter 5, as we start looking at uh, some more of the, what does it mean to be the Son of God, or God the Son. And that is another deep topic. So, John 1, 14, what do, we, what do we deal with here? This is bringing to us the idea, he's already talked about Jesus being eternal, Jesus being prior to creation, Jesus being God. Now he's bringing into the, the storyline that he became flesh. He became a human. And then we have this, from this, the, the idea of the incarnation. God the Son becoming a human. And we have this hypostatic union, this perfect matching or bringing together of these two different natures where he is 100% God, 100% human. And then he's presented as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And we'll see this a lot as Jesus, the one and only son, Jesus, the one and only, and from the father. 
you know, what does that even mean? We'll, we'll look more at that as we get to, uh, like, chapter 5. Does this refer to the, the nature of, of the Son of God from the Father, or he just sent from the Father? Well, yes. So we'll, we'll look more at this later. So the big takeaway for us, recognize just the amazing thing that God has done here. All this is so that Jesus will die on a cross to take the penalty of sin on himself, the death penalty that we deserve for sin, so that we can, in faith, experience forgiveness of sin and adoption as children of God. Jesus, as God the Son, is is in this special relationship with the Father, but we can experience a similar relationship, not the same, but similar, in our own adoption by God. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through the Gospel of John.